Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. I'm Michael. And I'm Shane. Welcome to episode 180, Best of Wrestling History X, Volume 4, 1995. You must have known it was coming when we used our real names. That's right. No dust in this one. It's a, a, yeah, where's the nickname here? I was trying to think of one on the fly, and yeah, I, I did not. So we just we went with old plain chain today. No <clears throat> nicknames needed for this one. No, the matches stand up for themselves. We don't need any little gimmicks. So this episode, basically, we've we have our short list of matches that we've put together from the last thirty-eight episodes or so, thirty-eight, thirty-nine episodes, and kind of whittled those down to our our favorites basically we're going to present them to you in chronological order because that's what we do here we don't we don't number them we just do everything in chronological order that's right yeah that's the that's the whole premise of the show we're not changing it for this in order so i mean i mean we can just kick it straight to our first one let's do it that was back in episode 143 so pretty early on I want to say it was probably our first ECW show, actually. I think, but I can't remember. It's called Double Tables. We had the crippler Chris Benoit versus this new guy. We'd seen him once before in 94, but it was his first time in ECW that we saw him. The snowman, Al Snow. Al Snow. And we were all flabbergasted because we didn't know he had it in him. Yeah. Watched Al Snow for many years, and this this definitely oh wasn't, damn definitely wasn't the guy that was. What's everybody want? Ed, uh, the uh, <laughs> it's yeah it's he's wrestling like but like a junior. Yeah, I mean, I, I always knew Al Snow was talented, but I didn't realize it, it had never been on full display for me to to see. You know, there was always some sort of a, a weird little gimmick or. Yeah, in the the near future he'll be assigned as a you know a rock and roller. But this one he was just wrestling. Yeah, he had the snow, the snowman name, but you know he wasn't dressed like a snowman. He didn't carry a a stuffed toy with that him. That would have been hilarious. He'd come out in like <laughs> an inflatable snowman yeah. costume. Maybe uh, the gimmick was that he used lots of cocaine, but I highly doubt it. <laughs> this was before ECW got uh, extreme. I think it might have even been a a team show between... No, they were extreme by this point. Okay. But was this not mixed with... Um, this wasn't one of the fan cams? Huh. Okay. No. It wasn't... Okay, so it wasn't the, like, Smoky Mountain slash ECW not that. thing? Okay. No. But that was the first time we saw him. Yes. Okay. In 94. Just double checking. But enough of us talking about it. That's right. Him. Let's, let's listen to us talk about him. Exactly. <laughs> so we head to our fifth match. My God. The Snowman. Al Snow. Versus the crippler, Chris Benoit. The snowman. So the two trade wrist locks with athletic escapes shared between the two until Benoit hits a fireman's carry. Test of strength with the crippler getting the early advantage, but Snow comes right back until the two start trading pinfall attempts back and forth. You know something I've noticed about ECW? If the two men are both in shape, and they do a test of strength, you're in for something good. Mm-hmm. If the two men are not in shape, you're in for uh, maybe like a Mr. Hughes. And uh, so like that's always a good, yeah. a, a good a good thing to see here. Here you get Benoit bending. I don't know if you snow. realize, but we haven't seen Mr. Hughes in a little while. We haven't seen him in quite a while, but you know. Yeah, but here you get to see old Benoit bending Al Snow in half. In their test of strength. Which oh, yes. Yeah. It was nice. I, I was curious about this. Uh, Joey Styles says early on that Snow held down Hoist Gracie for 17 minutes. Is that true? Is that a true thing that happened? Was he a early like MMA or something guy? 
that I don't know. No clue. Me neither. Well, we'll I'll, I'll bring it back up at the end. I'll, I'll do some research. If you know the answer, you can email us or find us on Twitter. Let us know. Slide into them DNs. So back to the match. We get a dragon screw by Chris. Then some shoving between the two. When the snowman hits a super kick, catching the crippler in the jaw. Al is sent to the corner where he does a flare flip onto the apron. Followed by Benoit hitting a clothesline to knock Snow down to the floor. Ah, the full flare on it. Chris hits a baseball slide kick, but the snowman hops back up to the apron, springboarding off the top rope to connect with a drop kick to the back of the crippler's head to send him out to the floor. Al then tries for a baseball slide kick of his own, only for Benoit to sidestep and get back into the ring where he catches the snowman getting into the ring himself. But Snow comes back with a spinning heel kick to knock Chris out onto the floor where he regroups. And everything is so like crisp and tight and done with intensity. Back in the ring, Benoit with a front suplex onto the ropes goes for a turnbuckle smash but is blocked, allowing Al to try for a top rope missile dropkick. But the Crippler sidesteps it and hits a bridging German. For a two count. I mean, come on. I love Joey Styles even points out, this is pure wrestling, and everybody's <laughs> losing their shit about it. The crowd is so hot, it's so funny to see them lose their mind for 911, and then for them to also lose their mind for, like, wrestling. pure in-ring... Magic. Yes, like, that's the, that's the word. Not to bury the lead, but it's magic, guys. <laughs> Chris stays in control with a clothesline and a scoop slam before hitting a vicious back suplex for a near fall. He tries for another, but the snowman counters to land on top of Benoit for a two count. The crippler starts insulting the crowd before hitting a body slam and a top rope diving headbutt for a near fall. And it's so great because the crowd then gets behind Al because they're like, fuck you, this guy's also holding it up with you. Chris follows up with a powerbomb for a two-count. Snow starts fighting back, only for Benoit to stop the momentum with a snap suplex and another bridging German for a near fall. Benoit goes for a full Nelson suplex, only for Al to counter into a snowplex, which is a wheelbarrow suplex. But he's too beaten to capitalize with a cover but he does recover enough to float over a crippler suplex attempt to hit a release German. And it's great because um, he whips, earlier Chris Benoit whips Al hard into the buckle, like Bret Hart style, and then Al's selling the back and he just starts suplexing him everywhere. Snowman delivers a clothesline, starts stomping away in a corner, a back body drop before hitting another super kick for a two count. Al continues with a bridging exploder suplex for a near fall, but Chris counters a waist lock to dump Snow with a release German, followed by delivering a full Nelson suplex for the pin and the win. Even Joey Styles says, match of the year candidate? <laughs> Joey Styles says it. Well... I'll say shortlist. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, what was the move? Um, I wrote it in my notes. I was like, I don't know what this is. And I wrote just like reverse Alabama slam. The snowplex. The snowplex. The, the, wheel, the wheelbarrow yeah. suplex. Because I wrote down snowplex. I was like, I didn't I didn't really realize what it was. I was like, it's kind of, is that, a, was I anywhere close in calling it a reverse Alabama slam? Or was that something um, that happened afterwards? Yeah, it's kind of a reverse Alabama slam. Slam. At least, like, you know, as far as being like, I don't know what this, what to call this, but yeah, I mean, shit, you, we can run this one back again. a couple dozen times. <laughs> yeah, it's not over long, and everything matters. Post match, Benoit power bombs the snowman again, causing Al to hold his neck. Uh-oh. The crippler. So the paramedics make their way out to the ring, placing snow on a stretcher. To take him out of the arena. What a cherry on a Sunday. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, oh, cool. Incredible match. And then we get a stretcher job from a guy who is calling himself the Crippler because Sabu's decided to land on his head. (laughs) I was just worried I was going to read here that 
this would be the last time we see Al Snow in ACW. <laughs> I'm hoping that we get to oh, see him more. Yeah, <laughs> I hope. Yeah, I hope we see a lot more because I mean, I know we'll see him later on either way. But yeah, I wasn't for sure how long his ECW stay yeah, is. Because yeah. I mean, the best match we watched on that weird half Smoky Mountain show was um, yeah, the Al Snow was, was Al Snow and. I just remember Al Snow is the guy with the foam head, and as a kid, I wasn't as tuned into like what is good wrestling because I was it was like prime attitude. I got era. the joke and was like, I can't say this joke to people because I does everybody want? Yeah. yeah, and it's a shame. It's like, did he get hurt, or was he, was or did he just got the WWF contract and it was more money? Because I would have loved to see him do some do some good shit in WCW. Well, I mean, Go. he gets initially brought into the WWF as, as the new rocker. Yeah. Which uh, also, his incredible super kick here, foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Welcome back. <laughs> Great job. job. Yeah, I was like, I don't know. I wasn't, yeah. <laughs> Keep it in and double it. <laughs> See? He's at a loss for words. I folks. know, yeah. It was great. Double tables. Yeah, it, it delivered on this match. You, you got two. Two greats from the the mid '90s, and they they put it all on on display for us. Yeah, I'm curious if did Al Snow have like some sort of injury, or it was just like, oh well, this hardcore thing's pretty hot. I think they were trying to get over the Crippler name. Uh, okay, <laughs> that's why that's why Benoit took him out at the end of the match. Oh, yeah, yeah. He'd already taken out Sabu. Now he had to take out this new guy just to show that he wasn't fucking around. He's going to take out new people, old people. It don't matter. Well, let's move on to our next match. All the way in episode 149, another ECW offering at Hostile City Showdown 1995. We get our first glimpse of the shooter, Dean Malenko, versus Eddie Guerrero for the ECW television title, guys. Uh, Both men short stint in ECW, but one we already very, already miss and very impactful. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Because this That's basically great. brought the like this style that we'd been seeing over in Japan. Yeah, but it kind of brought this style to the American audience, and off of these, because Malenko and Guerrero had basically a, three matches against each other in ECW. We get this one, and there's two other... This is the first of the three. Yeah. Um, but it's the only one that we got a full match of. Yeah, that's not cut up for video. Exactly. And it's basically what got them their contracts for WCW. Because literally by the end of 95, both of these guys are in WCW. Yep. Yeah, the, uh, it's these guys don't need uh, to bleed or use tables or chairs to even get over the ECW crowd, which you see throughout this year, where guys are having incredible, like technical, high flying matches without putting a table under their leg when they do a flip, and the crowd eventually goes off, maybe even more than when Public Enemy stabs somebody in the head. <laughs> yeah. No slop, all pop. Yeah, exactly. No slop, all pop. <laughs> well, let's hear what we had to say about this one. Take it away, us. We then go to our fifth match the shooter, Dean Malenko, versus Eddie Guerrero for the ECW television title. I mean, just those words right there. I know. I'm excited. I'm uh, immediately in my head, I'm like. <sighs> Handstand. It's not even ECW. It's not even ECW anymore. It's like yeah. we're about to go. Yeah, we're about to see a, a super ju- a super junior man. match. We're about to see a, I guess, lightning in a bottle. Oh yeah, they, uh, a a better version of a early WCW light heavyweight. An instant classic. A banger. So the two men are back and forth to begin, exchanging arm locks, boot scrapes across the face, and snapmares. Shoot, catch vibe. The two fight over suplexes before fighting off hip tosses, clotheslines, head scissors, and missed drop kicks to be at a standoff. We get dueling chants of boring and shut the fuck up. Yeah, people saying boring, I 
I have contempt for you. Those are the fans that like the Axel and Ian Rotten bullshit. Yes. Yeah, which I think that that's... I understand why that can be fun. But this is what I'm here for most of the time. Yeah, this is definitely... This is our, where our bread gets buttered. Yes. These fans don't know wrestling. Two men then fight over a cross arm breaker and into knuckle locks until Eddie hits a Uranagi out of one. The crowd is trying to get someone thrown out yes. as well. Probably one of those people that was yelling for <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Maybe somebody had one too many um, Budweiser's. I don't know if it's a Miller or a Budweiser town in Philly, but I'm sure they got plenty of it, whatever it may be. Guerrero continues with a body slam and a slingshot senton from the apron, only for Dean to back Eddie into the corner to hit a butterfly suplex. Dean starts working the knee of Guerrero with a drop kick and a modified Indian deathlock, where he locks up the arms as well before turning it into a pinning attempt. Swoon. Malenko stays on the knee, clipping it, delivering a knee drop, before running it into the steel post multiple times. Posted. The legwork continues with Dean locking on an STF, until Eddie is able to slip out of a backdrop into a sunset flip for a two count. I know the STF, I'm like, oh, it seems like he got out of it too quick. I wonder if that was inspired by uh, Eric Watts. <laughs> Man, I can't. I can't even remember what. Uh, did that actually? Did somebody actually say that on a yes. show? Yes. It wasn't one of our jokes. No, we no. made jokes about it. Yes. I believe it was Shane Douglas was doing an STF. Joey Styles said. Yeah. Oh, and Joey Styles obviously was made famous was by it, Eric Watts, which was obviously a joke. <laughs> yeah. Because Joey Styles was very funny. Yes. Even yokes on you, uh, Joey Styles. Not good, but we know where you're coming from. Guerrero then counters a suplex attempt into a snap suplex of his own, followed by a powerbomb and a tornado DDT for a near fall. Eddie delivers a top rope Frankensteiner, but slams his knee into the mat on the way down, so he's only able to get a two count. Guerrero then tries for the same modified Indian deathlock, but the hurt knee won't allow him to get the leverage he needs, so he ends up turning it into a Boston Crab before transitioning into an STF. The two men start to brawl when Malenko head scissors them both over the top rope out to the floor. Yeah, he goes all, throws his whole body into it. He doesn't only head scissor uh, Eddie, but he takes himself over with it. It's, uh, it's a lot. Eddie's back into the ring first, so he tries to bring Dean in the hard way, only for Malenko to counter suplexing Guerrero over the ropes and to the concrete. Ah, Jesus Eddie then sidesteps Dean's attempt at a plancha, causing Malenko to jam his knee, followed by Guerrero flying off the top rope with a crossbody. They head back into the ring where Dean hits a brain buster, and he tries for a second only to be countered into a brain buster from Eddie. <laughs> Guerrero heads up top for the frog splash to get the pin and the... No! Malenko kicks out. Eddie sends Dean to the corner and charges in, only for Malenko to move delivering a Northern Light suplex for a two-count. I love that Eddie, Eddie just hits the mat in frustration. He's like, what the fuck is it going to take? Dean then looks to apply the Texas Cloverleaf, only for Guerrero to fight it off multiple times by lunging for the ropes to escape, until Malenko hits a double underhook powerbomb, goes for the Cloverleaf, only for Eddie to cradle him up for a near fall. Guerrero with a springboard Frankensteiner for a two count. There's this already been a standing ovation just for a pin reversal. I mean, of course, it's not just for that. It's for everything that's been before. But this is how you like, like make a title mean something. It's an easy way to do that. And by easy, I mean not very many people can do this. No. So you should recognize it when they can. Yeah. Eddie continues with a pump handle backbreaker for a near fall followed by a gory special that leads into a rolling pinning sequence between the two men, all for two counts. Another small package by Eddie for a near fall, and he goes up top, only for Dean to meet him there, getting Guerrero onto his shoulders for a super electric chair drop, but Eddie counters it into a sunset flip powerball for a two count. As both men get to their feet, the bell rings. For a time limit draw. Yeah. This is the standing ovation. <laughs> uh, yeah, I love that 
most of the time, you know, the bell rings like on a two count or something, or like right before a three count, and that's the idea. But I love somebody not being able to put somebody away, both of them back to up to their feet, and you don't know who's about to have the advantage, and then the bell rings. Yeah, I think that that's it honestly look as staged. Yeah, and it, I feel like that it kind of sets up what happens next better, and you have less room for error as opposed to like somebody putting their leg on it. Everybody knows the crowd doesn't have to try to figure out what happened. They know what happened is that these guys couldn't put each other away in 30 minutes and you get to walk away and be like, I think this guy was going to win or had the better hand as opposed to like some kind of fuckery. It's like, no, they can both, the bell can ring with both of them standing up, yeah. ready to go. Maybe one's got a bum knee, maybe one's got a bum arm, but they were, they're still, they still got fight in them. So I really appreciated the draw ending that way. Yeah. Cause I think that's, Kind of the the most superior way for a draw to go. It's always less exciting for me when a draw happens, you know, as the referee's hand is coming down for two. Yeah. You know, that that can happen one time, and yeah, it's exciting, but it happens seventy five other times, and like, all right, whatever. Yeah, and I feel like Just the, throw that's over the top rope and get disqualified. Yeah. We love a time limit draw, or at least I do, but I don't feel like we've really seen them quite end like this, and I think this is kind of the best of all worlds, especially because. The only reason for a draw. I got two words. You got two words? Yeah. Short list. Yes. I think we all agree with that one. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I might. I think I might like this one better than Scorpio and Eddie last week. Mm-hmm. It's these guys close. are these guys are like close friends, so I feel like that automatically. It's like they yeah, no matter as much how much chemistry Scorpio and Eddie have, Dean and Eddie are inclined to have more considering that they've been around each other more. Yeah. And we're back. Oh my gosh, you did so much better. <laughs> well, you know, I do like to have this microphone in front of me. <laughs> and I am older, so, you know, I've had years of practice. Eddie, Dean, ugh. I wish you were still wrestling today. I wish you had more programs that went on forever and ever and ever and ever. Oh, yeah, when did you Dean guys. retire? He didn't have as big of a, a splash in WWE yeah, when they all jumped over there, but I mean, he, he, he stuck around backstage yeah, he moved for to several a, years. He moved to an agent role, and now he's in, actually in AEW as a coach. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. yeah he's, but, he does, but he does have Parkinson's? Is that what it is? It, it's, he has something that yeah. most likely he'll end up having to come off the road at some point. I'm not real sure exactly, so if it's not Parkinson's, I apologize. But he has some sort of affliction. Yeah. That he will, like I said, he'll have to come off the road at some point, which is unfortunate because that knowledge base to have. Yeah. A mind like that is never wasted in wrestling. Exactly. It's Parkinson's. It is Parkinson's. Yep. Okay. I thought that's what it was. Sad. I didn't, yeah. yeah I didn't realize he was battling that. That's... Huh? The man of a thousand holds. Hopefully, he can hold off one more. There we go. <laughs> Let's move to our next one. And if you've listened to this show long enough, you know we like some women's wrestling. Yes, we do. Because when these women do stuff that we think men should be doing. Yes. But they don't do. When they're allowed to do more than pull hair, uh-huh. it's great. When you we, get we in just, there and kick somebody's go, ass instead of shit. Yeah, when it's not stripping their clothes off of them just to get a reaction. When it's not all it's sloppy uh, snap mares from the roots of their, uh, yeah. of their, of their uh, long hair. When you got a woman who can get in the ring and wrestle with her hair standing straight up, and it's still <laughs> standing straight up at the end of the match after she just kicked the shit out of somebody. It's just good hairspray. I mean, it's good hairspray, I bet, but... I'm willing to bet that she has she knows what she the, needs. the Elmer's glue. I think that was an old punk rock trick. We'll just both be wrong. It's like this weird plastic thing that just kind of sits up <laughs> oh, under yeah. there and just holds it up. It was just a really nice uh, <laughs> horsehair crown. Internal crown, yeah. <laughs> We're going to Korea. Could you believe that a match from Collision in Korea would end list. up on the list? After watching these women go? <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. After watching the other matches on the show? This was the one. This is the one. Yeah. Yep. But that was episode 161. It's Manami Toyota. 
and Mariko Yoshida versus Akira Hokuto and Bull Nakano. And they definitely blew us out of the water. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they uh, they more than earned their spot on this list. Absolutely. <laughs> I think we've said all we can say. Yep. Let's go listen to what we said. And then we go to our fourth match. Manami Toyota and Mariko Yoshida versus Akiro Hakata and Bull Nakano. These are some big names, guys. Oh, so, yeah. If you don't know. Fucking uh, Akira Hokuto comes out with awesome, like, demon mask and katana. Yeah, see, it's great. it threw me at first, because seeing the two of them walk down, I was like, alright, I know Bull, big blue hair, and then, you know, the other one walking behind with big red wig or yeah, yeah, something like that. To, connected to the mask. And then and I looked away from the TV for a second, and then looked back, and then I had to try and figure out, alright, which one is she? Because... <laughs> Nobody looks like they were in the costume that I just saw walking down to the ring. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the one I'm least familiar with is uh, Mariko Yoshida, but like, Manami there Toyota. There might be a reason for that. And Akira Hokuto, <laughs> and then, of course, Bull Nakano uh, are all uh, big names for 90s women's wrestling. In fact, Akuto is a Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Famer, and she would actually also marry Kanzuke Sasaki later this year. Huh? Some fun personal information oh, yeah, about cool. her. Were they talking about which that they do the mention? Show? They okay. do mention later in the show because I heard them talking about something about playing matchmaker for a Sasaki, but I didn't hear the name that they were talking about. While Toyota is also a Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Famer, and at this point had won Match of the Year in 1993, but she would also win it for 1995 in a match not on this, not for this match specifically, but. For a different match that she would have in, in her all, promotion. All Japan, right? Yeah. And the last time we saw Nakano was at SummerSlam 94, episode 130. So Toyota and Yoshida go for a handshake. But Akuda and Nakano dump Toyota out to the floor and start working over Yoshida with double team maneuvers until Toyota comes flying in off the top rope with a crossbody onto Akuda and Nakano. Toyota and Nishida try for some double-team maneuvers of their own, only for Nakano to take them down with a double clothesline, followed by a clothesline to Toyota to turn her inside out. Toyota is then being tossed around by Nakano, where she fires up with a dropkick and multiple second-rope missile dropkicks for a two-count. Yoshida is tagged in, but as she is taken down immediately with a clothesline from Nakano, before Akuto flies in off the top rope with a splash for a near fall. Hokuto keeps up the attack with a spinning heel kick and a pile driver for a two count before locking on a Romero special. Surfboard. Surfboard. Nakano tags in to lock on a Bulls Angelino stretch, which we've seen this move before. It's a half sharpshooter, half butterfly lock move. I found that Paige actually used to do it as the Paige tap out, the PTO. So we have seen it. Other, I had never seen it before. We saw Nakano do it, but I never really watched a whole lot of Paige. So. Yeah, and see, I mean, when Paige did it, I think hers was different than. Yeah, it was slightly Nakano. different. Because I mean, Bull was big old beast, and Paige was this little thing. So yeah, yeah hers hers went on a little differently. Toyota <laughs> runs in and breaks up that hold. Nakano continues to work the back of Yoshida with more stretches before hitting a leg drop. And then Yoshida is tossed to the ropes by Akuto. Coming back, she cartwheels away from a clothesline before hitting a crossbody, a pair of handspring back elbows, and a Fisher Woman suplex for a near fall. I mean, yeah, these girls are firing in on all cylinders. They are flying from all sides of the ring quite wonderfully. <laughs> Yoshida goes to the top rope, only for Akuto to meet her there, bringing Yoshida down with a superplex for the pin. And no, Yoshida kicks out. Hakuto is holding Yoshida for Nakano to come in off the second rope with a clothesline, only for Yoshida to move to avoid, allowing her to make the tag to Toyota, who comes in with a splash off the top rope. But Hakuto gets her feet up into both Toyota's. Of the both boots up. Nakano delivers a power bomb for a two count, tries for another, but Toyota rolls through for a sunset flip for a near fall. She does a powerbomb, and uh, Eric Bischoff calls it a pile driver, to which I call him 
Vince an McMahon. Idiot. Yeah, Vince McMahon. <laughs> what a maneuver! Yeah, at least what a maneuver is fun. <laughs> Toyota goes for a suplex, but Nakano is too much for her. So Yoshida comes in to join, only for Nakano to then hit a double suplex on them. I mean, what a fun spot. Akuto comes flying in with a splash, only for Toyota and Yoshida to move and kick Nagano down to the floor, followed by a double drop kick to Akuto to send her out to the floor as well. Yoshida goes through the ropes with a tope suicida, followed by a springboard plancha by Toyota out onto Nakano and Akuto. Back in the ring, Toyota body slams Akuto before going up top for a moonsault for the two count. And it, during all of this, Eric Bischoff says, uh, textbook offense. And I'm like, fuck you, you've never seen anything like this, <laughs> you fucking dickhead. Toyota then lifts Akuto onto her shoulders for the ocean cyclone suplex, but Akuto rolls through for a near fall. Yoshida comes in with a clothesline that Akuto ducks and delivers a bridging German suplex. Nakano is tagged in, sending Yoshida to a corner where she leaps up to the top, coming off with a crossbody for a two-count. Yoshida hits several drop kicks, only for Nakano to no-sell them. So Toyota comes in for them to hit stereo drop kicks to finally knock Nakano down. Nakano is then tossed to the ropes, ducks a double-team clothesline, while Okudo climbs the ropes, flying in with a missile drop kick to her opponents. The split leg uh, one, where each foot for each... For each opponent, which I just I just love that so much. Nakano then takes her opponents out to the floor, where Kudo falls out with a senton from the top rope. Once back in the ring, Nakano climbs the ropes, while Kudo body slams Oshida, before Nakano leaps off with a flying leg drop for the pin and, and the, the win. win. Short... List. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I was going to ask if this was the one that you were uh, hinting at. Yes. Oh, uh, I mean, yeah. Shortlist women's match us. <laughs> we don't see a whole lot of them, and uh, these girls did the work. Yes. I also love the senton spot where it's like Bolmacano's like not there to save, and she's like she's too far away. So, yeah, they didn't wait for her to get there to catch him. They did the senton. Yep. I mean, I'm all for safety, but not, like, don't do things you don't know how to do, but also don't do things that don't make sense. So, I appreciate that. Yes. Smart match. Good match. Fast match. Exciting match. Mm-hmm. Welcome back from that one. Hope you Hope you're enjoying this. I am. I mean, I'm completely enjoying the walk down memory lane. Of all the things to uh, listen back to as somebody that records this, these are the ones that I'm always like, oh yeah, I want to want to hear what we had to say about these matches that we love so yeah, much. Absolutely. That's I know I like what this. I had to say about this one. I probably said something about how all the spots to the floor made sense. <laughs> because that's a big picadillo of mine and something that I loved about this match. Yeah, I dig the uh, the best of episodes because we find ourselves often saying shortlist, but then by the time we get through the the whole cycle of it, I kind of forget which ones we've said shortlist to until I see them in front of me. And it's like, oh shit, yeah. yeah. And then you get excited. You're like, oh yeah, that was, that was good. Or yeah. like, hmm, I don't remember the finish. <laughs> I'd like to go back and watch it or listen to it. You know what else is exciting? The next match. It was Razor versus Sean in ladder match part D. I mean, who would we be if we were over? Were to overlook this one? We wrestled the manias with them, and now we're slamming the summer. Back in episode one sixty three, we saw these two guys match up, and if I remember correctly, I mean, I know I said it. I don't know how. I don't remember what y'all's feelings are. Once I listen to what we said. I'll, I'll remember yeah. at that point, <laughs> but I remember saying that I like this one better than the WrestleMania one. Yep. I mean, Razor has a full year to get better, as if he wasn't already a solid hand. People said that originally the first match was Shawn Michaels having a match with a ladder, which I think is incredibly rude, uh, and because Razor Ramon is not Kevin Nash. No, definitely uh, not. So, yeah, so it would only make sense that they would be able to do it better a second time. Yep. 
Well, let's find out if we actually did all say all that stuff. <laughs> but we go straight to our eighth match. Razor Ramon versus the Heartbreak Kid Shawn Michaels for the WWF Intercontinental Championship in a ladder match. I mean, you know, they perfected the ladder match, and this is the ladder rematch. So Doc Hendricks has joined McMahon for commentary for this match and for the rest of the show, as you know, Lawler went to the back with his boy Yankum. Yankum. The sexy boy out in blue and silver. Where's the red, brother? Yeah, you gotta mix it up. You gotta mix it up. You gotta mix it up. I agree, but uh, the red is so nice. So the build-up for this match was kind of slight, as HBK was actually supposed to face Sid. But a few weeks before the show, new president Gorilla Monsoon decided the fans wanted a ladder rematch. He said, we need to sell some tickets, and that is the biggest match we've had, or one of the most popular matches we've had in quite a while. What did Sid do? Did he get in trouble? No, literally. No, no. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I think they just needed an excuse. The storyline is what I gave you. Michael nailed it on the head with yeah, yeah. the actual. You don't. The why. thing is, you also don't need a build to this. These guys visiting each other again totally makes sense because they're kind of eye to eye in the card as far as like popularity and is this the biggest match you can have in this company at the moment? Is Razor and Sean like because. Diesel it's probably pretty close. Yeah, mm-hmm. like if and if, like if it's not Sean and Brett. Yeah, but yeah, they're exactly. both faces at this time. So yeah, I, mean, I guess Razor yeah. and Sean are both faces. Yeah, you Razor so. giving Brett the the stink eye in the back. Anything's possible. Yeah, triple threat. But yeah, if you need to sell another like twenty five thousand pay per views, or you need to sell another like you know fifteen hundred tickets, yeah. this match will do it. Sid is not going to bring the people in, and neither is Diesel. Even though they seem to cheer him. So it takes a minute for the belt to be placed correctly over the ring. As they can't seem to get the height exactly correct. They don't do it all the time. And we'll find out that they still don't really have it correctly Mm -hmm. by the end of the match. But once it is, the two men start trading words until they begin to run the ropes. With Sean almost hitting a super kick, only for Razor to avoid. We get more traded strikes when Ramon sends Michaels to the corner where he leaps up and over absolutely no one. So when he turns, the bad guy just kicks him to set up for the razor's edge. I know I love the trading the finishes early. So hot and such a good way to get everybody going. HBK drops down and rolls to the ropes to avoid. Ramon with another Irish whip that sends Sean into a flare flip over the ropes to the floor. And this allows Razor to go out and try and retrieve the ladder. Only for Michaels to catch up with him to bring him back to ringside. Does Michaels ever land the flare flip, or does he just steal the flare flip and always use it to land on the apron of the floor? Because it seems like he never uses it in a defensive way where Ric Flair will like take it to the apron a lot of the time. Or Usually when Sean does it, yeah, he... He just goes out to the yeah, floor. Yeah, it's yeah. Just like, for him, for him it's a bump, and for Ric Flair it's a... like. Will he recover or not? Yeah, he, he does either the flip out to the floor or he does the kind of flip up onto the turnbuckle and then, and then rolls back, back into the into ring again so yeah, get yeah. hit again. Yeah, yeah. I love it either way, but it's just I'm just curious because it seems like with Flair, you never know. But with Sean, it seems like he never quite lands on the feet. HBK tries to bring Ramon in the hard way, but it is countered, sending Sean's leg across the guardrail. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah, that, uh... That one was sick. Ouch. I mean, where the match starts and the guys are avoiding each other's finishes, they're starting hot, and then you're already working the leg, which Sweet Chin Music has already been said in this match. So it's... it's I, th- I feel like it's basically established at this point. Back in the ring, Razor gets Michaels up into the, the Razor's edge. Only for HBK to wiggle free and attempt a super kick, which Ramon ducks before they both hit clotheslines for a double KO. Razor starts whipping Sean back and forth before hitting a second rope fallaway slam, which allows Ramon to grab the ladder in the aisleway. And Vince tells us that Sid will get a match versus the winner on an episode of Raw 
as we see him watching in the back. Yep, Sid uh, in a dark room watching the monitor. I also love that the ladder is, there's one ladder, and it's in the walkway. It's not in the ring. There's not ten ladders or four ladders or three ladders. It's in, in the ring. I mean, in the, in the walkway. So it's like, you have to go get it. As Razor comes back to ringside, Michaels tries for a baseball slide. But Ramon moves and decks HBK with a right hand. Razor then sets up the ladder, but Sean jumps back into the ring to knock Ramon and the ladder down. Michaels picks up the ladder and inadvertently yeah, hits like Ramon while trying to set it up. Looks like a bit of an accident. But Razor grabs his pant legs to stop him, pulling his tights down to the pleasure of all the ladies. And I'm sure a few men. I mean, uh, I would have liked to see his ass, and that's not even my thing. I was like, (laughs) we can't see it? We can't see his ass? Ramon then pulls HBK's leg, causing him to fall into the ladder, with the leg getting caught up on a rung as it fell. I mean, callback. Razor takes advantage, working over the knee with stomps, and using the ladder before slamming Sean on top of the ladder. Ramon then sets the ladder across the second rope in a corner before going back to work on the leg, trying to whip Michaels into it, but he just falls down. I know, it feels like they're already one-upping this with, like, the slam on the ladder. It's like, oh, like, we gotta, you can't just, we can't just do the same match again. Razor then attempts a figure four, only for HBK to knock him off right into the corner with the ladder. But Ramon recovers to drop Sean knee first across the ladder and continues to work on it, including slamming the knee on the ground and against the ring post. Who does he think he is, Bret Hart? (laughs) Maybe Bret helped. Razor grabs the letter to set it up, but instead just casually drops it on the hurt leg. Very fun. I love it. Yeah, it's so fun. It's like, oh, let me just, uh, you know subvert your expectations real quick by being a bit of a shithead. He then actually does set it up and starts to climb when Michaels flies off the top rope with a double axe handle to knock him down. HBK then shoves Ramon into the ladder to to knock him down again, but Razor is up first and starts to climb when Sean catches up with him to deliver a back suplex off of the ladder. I mean, come on, guys. Michaels then puts the ladder against the turnbuckle before whipping Ramon into it multiple times, followed by a forearm smash and a body slam. HBK then sets the ladder up in the corner, climbing to the top to hit a moonsault onto Razor. Ah, Moonsault? Like, have we seen a Shawn Michaels moonsault before? Maybe? (laughs) I'm trying to remember. Maybe he's just like, well, Hakushi's here. I'm picturing him doing one on Tito. But I might be wrong. Yeah, and that was like so long ago. Yeah. And it's like ah, like at that point, it's not even in con- the like consciousness of like the current era. Yeah. Sean climbs to the top of the ladder once again. This time, coming off with a splash, but Ramon rolls out of the way to avoid. The ladder is set back up with both men slow climbing to the top, where they have a slugfest which ends up toppling the ladder, sending Razor out to the floor while Michaels gets crotched on the top rope. I love it. It's like, oh, well, we both got it bad. The crowd is pretty split. Back on their feet, HBK misses with a running ladder attack to Ramon on the apron as he low bridges, causing Sean to fall out to the floor. Razor then grabs a second ladder from under the ring while Sean starts setting up the original ladder in the ring, with McMahon going crazy about how he has never seen this before. I mean, what is this? It is pretty uh, new. It's a shame that they started putting everything in the world under a ring, but here it's a surprise and nice. Everything and everyone. Mm-hmm. Michaels begins to climb, so Ramon grabs him to deliver a razor's edge in the middle of the ring. Both make it back to their feet and start to set up their respective ladders with Ramon starting to climb first. So HBK hits some sweet chin music from his ladder to knock Razor down. It's a desperation thing, too, because, like, Razor's got, like, six inches at least on Michaels. Sean then makes it to the top of his ladder, 
but he can't reach the belt. So he like leaps up to try and grab it. Yeah, it's just like if he was centered, he could get it. But in this moment of desperation, after the sweet chin music to the taller man, he just like, fuck it, I gotta jump and at least try. <laughs> but he ends up just crashing down to the mat. The bad guy looks for another razor's edge, only for Michaels to counter with a back body drop to send Ramon over to the floor, allowing HBK to make the slow climb to grab the title, but he still can't take hold of it. That one was frustrating as hell, because he actually grabs onto it, but it doesn't come loose. Yeah, it's like he slipped, his, <laughs> either like his sweaty hand slips, or like, my assumption is that like, he gets a hold of it, but his sweaty hand slips, and he thinks it's going to come down easier than it does. And it's like, oh, yeah, you need to just, like, hook your arm because this thing's a little tighter than you thought. Yeah. So Sean, like, falls off to the mat once again. And he's pissed off at this point because he, like, yeah. slams the ladder back into the middle of the ring. Which is, like, honestly, I'm sure the anger was obviously real, but it's... The kind of the kind of leaking of reality into wrestling that you enjoy sometimes, or that we like to see. So Michaels makes the climb one more time, with the belt having been with it having been unstrapped. It's like hanging down a little bit lower, so mm-hmm. he's able to grab it from about the halfway point of the ladder to win the match. Dun dun dun. Post match, Ramon climbs back into the ring. Ripping the belt out of Sean's hands. But then he hands it back to him, raising his arm, and giving him a handshake and a hug. Lifts his Aww. arm for the fireworks. Bros. I mean, it's babyface versus babyface, but this is one of the moments where it works just because. Both of them have been shit heels in the past. Yeah, and people want to see it. <laughs> so there's that moment of like they could possibly turn, kind of like the. Uh, like Piper and Bret Hart at WrestleMania 8, I believe, which is still one of the greatest matches ever. Ladders and tables, and there's no tables. Ladders and razors and... Heartbreaks. And heartbreaks, oh my. Oh my. And yes. And, and very pissed off Sean. <laughs> He's a little heated. I mean, how many times... I, I don't know how many times I could have grabbed for the belt. I mean, but... from what I understand, if he's not angry, he's, uh, he's uh, whining. So, yeah. I mean, it's a good chance. it only makes sense. Well, I'm just going to say that Angry Shawn Michaels is kind of hot, so I'm okay with it. I mean, of, <laughs> of, the, uh, of the current lineup in Would WWE. Would you say he's a sexy boy? I'm absolutely. Sexy, angry I don't think that guy. you could have two more handsome men in the WWF in a ring at one point at this point in time. No. Like, those are the two hottest guys on the, on the payroll. I mean, they're they're part of the reason that mullets became so popular, because look how they looked with them. So everybody else thought, you know, damn, my girl's checking them out. I should probably grow one of them things for myself. Uh, Shawn Michaels, not everybody has the face that Shawn Michaels has. <laughs> Definitely not. No. But you know who does have a face? Arn Anderson, guys. Uh, Arn Anderson <laughs> like, is... where are we going with uh, this? Yeah, a, a, a handsome dad. I yeah, would love is. for him to cook me uh, a hamburger. Uh, while fireworks go off. He seems like a good hang. <laughs> That's right. Our next match, the Horsemen reform, guys. And this match is what got them all together. Yep. They do it in what we would consider perfect, a perfect wrestling angle to bring the Horsemen back. Yeah. Headed to Halloween Havoc, 95. I just have to point out here, sorry to interrupt, but we have a fucking Halloween Havoc match on our short list. Halloween Havoc has been generally the joke of notoriously doo Well, I literally was going to mention that this show <laughs> literally had this match was sandwiched in between a monster truck sumo match Ooh. and a Hogan giant Ugh. with. A Yeti appearance. Yeti! Yeah, after the giant uh, seemingly fell off of a roof. Yeah. How much? Did they recorded and didn't even put on the show, yeah. which I couldn't be more angry about, but you've heard the episode <laughs> before, I'm sure. What if we had a snowman there instead of a Yeti? Oh, how different things would have been. Al Snow runs in. Mm. 
knocks yeah. out. Not Hogan. only do we have a Yeti, we have a horny Yeti. <laughs> Did you know? I think I mentioned I mentioned this off air, but I never said it on air. El Gigante was originally supposed to be the Yeti. <laughs> but they were like, we've had enough of he, giving this guy a shot. I, I think he made the one wise decision of his entire career and was like, yeah. no thank you. I think the uh, WWF wouldn't let him use the hairy skin suit anymore. So you know, <laughs> he's like, it's this or nothing. Okay, nothing. That hairy skin suit, almost worse <laughs> almost worse than the Yeti costume. But enough about the rest <laughs> of Halloween yes. Sorry, we can do a whole hour on Halloween Havoc. So back in episode 169... Arn Anderson and Flying Brian Pillman team up to face Sting and supposed to be Ric Flair. But Ric Flair had gotten hurt before the show started. Son of a bitch. So Sting is forced to take on the Enforcer and Flying Brian Pillman all on his lonesome. And this is what happened. Take it away, us. That takes us to our sixth match. The Enforcer. Arn Anderson and flying Brian Pillman versus Sting and the Nature Boy Ric Flair. Woohoo! I mean, I think we earned it. Yeah. I mean, anytime the four of these guys step in the ring, either together or individually as you know, one on one, I'm I'm okay with it. Yeah. If the worst one, uh, like if the worst, or worst, it might not be the right way to put. I was going to say which is the, the worst. If of the least talented uh, wrestler in the ring is. Sting, at the least, at least I don't mind calling Sting uh, a wrestler. Well, you were allowed to call them wrestlers back then. It was okay. <laughs> yeah. So Double A and Pillman come out throwing up the four hand sign while fans are throwing trash at them. Yeah, they were. Including a piece just hitting the enforcer right on the chin, <laughs> but he doesn't even flinch. No, he just poor. wipes it away and keeps on walking. We love him. I mean, in him. Pillman looks look nice together. It's like st- big big bear and baby bear. The stinger comes out alone as Tony tells us that the nature boy is still receiving medical help. Because remember he got beat up. That's right. He before got... the show. Oh, they man. told us that. Uh, they didn't show it though. No. no, they did not. Sting has to fend off some double teaming to start, forcing them out to the floor to regroup. Where Flying Brian just yells at the cameraman. We want fire. The crowd is hot for Ric Flair, and they go in and out of that chant consistently. (laughs) The stinger evades them and takes them down once more with face plants, right hands, and chops to force them out to the floor again. We want Flair. Pillman enters the match and slaps Sting before luring him out to the floor, where Anderson tries for a clothesline, only for the stinger to duck and retaliate with clotheslines to both men. Back in the ring, Brian tries a different tactic, going for a handshake. But Sting just boots him in the gut and nails a press slam. Arn comes in looking to take control, only for the Stinger to reverse a pile driver attempt into a catapult that sends Double A into Pillman on the turnbuckle. Sting then launches Flying Brian off the ropes into the guardrail before returning to deliver right hands to Anderson. But the Enforcer recovers by ramming the Stinger's head into Pillman's. The old double noggin knocker. Double A then takes control with a shot to the gut when Flair all of a sudden runs into the ring in street clothes and his head all bandaged up. I mean, huge pop. He's going after Arn, but the ref stops him and forces him into a corner. Rude. Anderson tosses Sting out to the floor where Brian can work him over by sending him into the guardrail. Before back in the ring, Pillman and the Enforcer just continue to double-team the Stinger, while the Nature Boy is forced to look on, itching to get into the fight. After a double-A body slam, they attempt a rocket launcher, only for Sting to get his knees up and starts to make the crawl, only for Anderson to cut off the tag attempt with a back suplex for a two-count. Arn goes into a knuckle lock, trying for the pump splash, but the Stinger gets his knees up again making that crawl once more, but this time Flying Brian distracts Nate, causing him to leave the apron and chase after him, allowing the Enforcer to pull Sting back to the corner, where he locks on a leverage-aided ab stretch. They are doing a beautiful job of milking the hot tag because people were hot for Flair. Flair didn't even come out. Flair's here now, and Sting has taken too many blows by the time 
Rick gets there. And since Rick is the face, he's staying in the corner. And what a way to bring excitement to a fever pitch. The way the whole purpose of wrestling and spoiler alert, that it's uh, predetermined for this purpose. People should remember that. Don't you steal my fun. No, they should remember that you're supposed to... The whole idea is that you can get the best reaction. The drama builds. Pillman with a face plant, rubbing Sting's face into the mat, hits some chops before applying a leverage-aided half-crab. More double-teaming and holds when the Stinger looks to rally, only for Double-A to cut him off with a spine buster for a near fall. They go to work on the leg of Sting with Flair screaming at him to stand tall when the Stinger would fire up to nail a double Naga Knocker, allowing him to make his way to the corner for the hot tag. The Nature Boy jumps in the ring, Woo! does some strutting, yeah. and then turns and punches Sting right in the face. My God, uh, how did you punch? Did you love that moment? Swerve. All three men then proceed to attack the stinger, and the ref calls for the bell. Hell yes. Post-match, Sting fights valiantly, but the numbers game is not on his side, as Arn holds him while Pillman and Flair throw chops and punches. I mean, there may be three men on Sting, but Pillman is holding up four fingers. Nate rips the tape off of his head as it was all a ruse. And the refs try to stop him, but they get attacked as well. Mean Jeans in the aisle calling what we just saw disgusting, but not enough to not plug the hotline. With Road Warrior Hawk and Mike Tenay on the phone right now. He then stops the Nature Boy, Anderson, and Flying Bryant for a word. And Nate says, It's time to go to school. You don't jump on double A. You don't play around with Flying Brian. You never mess around with the Nature Boy. And you don't walk, talk, or breathe unless the horseman wants you to. Anderson then chimes in to be careful what you wish for, calling the fans bloodthirsty for wanting this. Flair then ends it all by saying, Reunited and it. Feels so good. I mean, come on. style. Come on. It's so... The Dungeon of Doom is completely... was completely neutered here. Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah, that's your heel faction. It's like, we just had an incredible horseman angle that did everything that wrestling is supposed to do in the, like, most textbook of way. It's like, it's so good. I love that Arn says, like... You know, all all you bloodthirsty fans uh, asked for this. Well, you got it, and now you got to deal with it. And I was like, "Fuck yes, we." Lo- I'm so happy to deal with this. Tony wonders how long this plan was in effect, with the brain just laughing about it. I mean, uh, if you think we were excited about it, how do you think Bobby felt? <laughs> this is like the closest thing to wrestling he's seen in a while. Hell yeah! What I mean, uh, <laughs> angle? It's so perfect. They didn't. It was. It all happened in the ring. There could have been like no buildup at all, and this is just mm-hmm. the thing. And it's all there. Sting just getting beat down for like ten minutes to the perfect crescendo. He should have. It just pulls the rug out from under everybody. Here's a tag. Strut, strut, strut. Punch. Yeah. <laughs> like yes. Yep. Yeah. It's just like textbook stuff, but. Is it textbook stuff? Because I don't think people are reading these textbooks anymore. <laughs> they need to be. Yeah. I, I, I can think of a couple people that are reading that textbook, but... Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, they're, they're about the only ones anymore. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, they're injured most of the time. But hey. <laughs> or at least at the moment. New things are on the horizon in the wrestling world, so who oh, knows? Yeah. We, we may get some, some smarts back in the biz again. It's an exciting time. Yes. I mean, Sting warned him, too. Or I shouldn't say he warned him. I guess he did warn Flair that, you know, if you screw me, I'm going to kick your ass. But you should have known. If you have to say, if you screw me, you're going to get screwed, buddy. He's the dirtiest player in the game. Yeah. That's right. I mean, he got his best friend and his protege. What what do you expect? So we also had other matches on the shortlist. Yes. That we'd like to 
at least give a mention to, just so... Yeah, ones we thought about, uh, you know, honorable mentions. So I think we mentioned earlier, Eddie Guerrero had a couple other matches on our short list. Yes. Yeah, he showed up big at the beginning of Yeah, Eddie of was the, uh, the most yeah. listed on our list. His very first match in ECW was against Two Cold Scorpio at Three Way Dance, and that one was on our list. And I think that's our favorite Two Cold Scorpio match that yeah. we've ever seen as well. Yes, definitely. Because every uh, time, I, for a while there, I was just waiting for Two Cold Scorpio to uh, botch. Yep. And uh, I believe that uh, in this one, if he did, it was minuscule. And then we also had the other, one of the other Eddie Malenko matches as well, but it was edited down. So we went with the full the full match because, yeah, of course it's going to be a little bit better. One that's yep. not just cut for high spots. Yep. And that one was 150 Inner Sandman. Yep. We had Best of the Super Juniors 2, Sinjiro Otani versus Koji Kanemoto for a semifinals match. Episode 157. It's no surprise to anybody that's listening to the show that I love Sinjiro Otani, and I love it when he kicks people in the head. I love any wrestler that kicks people in the head and means it. Absolutely. (laughs) And then, of course, you also had your your Otani match at the Super J-Cup. Maybe my... Favorite of the honorable mentions, Super J-Cup's second stage, Otani versus Ultimo Dragon in a quarterfinals match where somehow they botched the finish, but the rest of the match was so good that it's hard for me to ignore. I just remember from that episode that we literally, we all literally named, I, I, I changed up the smarking it up on that episode, and That's was right. like, let's just name our favorite three matches. And we each, we each had a different favorite match i think we all agreed that that was the best match yeah best and favorite but sometimes not always not always the same room to breathe because those words i had issues like the botch completely took it took it off yeah being a shortlist match for me which it's going to affect some people different ways yeah That's what wrestling should do. I mean, for me, it was more of just like a... I just did a big old shucks, because I was like... Almost perfection. I know. I, it's, <laughs> I mean, I think I, li- I think I literally said it was a nine and a half on the ten point scale. Because <laughs> yeah. it just like... It took it down the, just a half of a notch yeah. for me. Still absolutely worth your time. Well, that just leaves us with a couple. We got one from WCW, Fall Brawl 1995. Flying Brian Pillman versus Johnny B. Bad in a number one contenders match for the WCW United States Heavyweight Championship. And this is when Pillman just came back. Yes. It was the draw. Yes. And then they went to sudden death. And it's like, just keep going. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we made fun of that a little bit. Is this bit. the one where they couldn't figure out or they had to explain or something like that what sudden death was? Yes. I remember there was one of them. Yeah, okay. they had to explain what sudden It was like, uh, yeah, they're just going until someone gets a pin. There's just no time limit, guys. <laughs> yeah. But, this was and a then, starting and then, match and then, on the show, and it lit the show on fire. Yeah. We I mean, were like, oh, yeah, let's go, fall brawl. It was nice because we had Pillman for the longest time opening shows for, like, it seemed like a year straight. Yeah. And then it switched to Johnny Bad opening shows for a year straight. Definitely different styles of wrestling and styles of matches. But to see the two of them come together and put, both, put pour both their talents in a cup uh, for us to drink down uh, was very nice. And... I know people give Johnny Bad shit, but Johnny Bad is not the worst wrestler. No, Johnny he is Bad a is a solid. When, hand. when he puts his effort in, I, yeah. I think he's a solid wrestler. Yes, and and the people love him. Yeah. Johnny B. Bad is great. The Wild Man. I don't know if you're in love as much when you see him, but Marco. Yes. Oh no. And our other match, or I should say, our final on the uh, short list is. Episode 176, In Your House 5, it was the British Bulldog Davy Boy Smith with Jim Cornette and Diana Smith versus Brett the Hitman Hart for the WWF Championship. And this one was their... Uh, it was a redemption guess, kind match, of a, yeah. kind of, for Yeah, Brett for had to get his, his win back. Davy Boy had to try and go for that title and take it the, the big one this time. A whole lot better than their their SummerSlam '92 match. Yeah. We we all agreed. We, yeah, we, we all agreed with that. It, honestly, it's a shame this was not the show that yeah. was at Wembley Stadium in front of like fifty fucking thousand people yeah. or whatever. I don't remember the number, but I know it's a shitload 80, of people. 000. Eighty. That's crazy to me. So yeah. many people. Eighty thousand to like 
14,000 or whatever That's it was insane. on this one. Yeah. But yeah, way way better match than I mean the the SummerSlam one was good, but this one had a lot of greatness to it just because you've got Brett at the top of his game. You had Diana that had a little bit more of an attitude to her because she was, you know, supporting her her heel husband. You had Davey who was I believe sober for this match, so uh, he actually definitely had some definitely less fucked sober. up. I think, I think the biggest thing about the SummerSlam one is, is like it actually goes a notch up once you realize that he's fucked up, because you're like, they actually did that, and he has no clue what he's doing. Yeah, it's like, oh, well, the guy's just it's it's in his bones. Plus, he's got you know Brett there. I don't know if it would have worked that way with anybody with else. anybody else. Definitely yeah. not. No. If it was Antonio Inoki and British Bulldog, Antonio Inoki probably just would have kicked him in the head and left the ring. Yeah. 1995 <laughs> is often viewed as a uh, terrible year in wrestling, but we had some quality matches. It's not the best no. overall. No. But there are definitely some bright spots, and that's what we wanted to bring in this episode are some of those bright spots. Yep. For all the poo-pooing we did, we're, now we're, uh, you know... Throwing, throwing rose petals Ooh. for uh, at least these handful of minutes. There were some stankers that we had to go through. But hey, public enemies on their way out, guys. Woo! At least from one company. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, well, then, and then you get to see the public enemy that I was introduced to when I first mm, started and then they're, watching they're, they're public enemy. And they're forced to work. Um, <laughs> Maybe not. I mean, as much as you can work in WCW. Well, no, because you got some good workers in WCW. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, this you'll, you'll see. Um, I'm, I'm interested. Yeah, just just wait and see. It's uh, it's a, a whole new world. Yeah, it gets pretty nasty. <laughs> Next week, Wrestling World 1996. It's January 4th. You know what that means. We're going across. The sea to the Tokyo Dome. That's right. You know this will be a, a joint show with UWF, so see some people we haven't seen before and a bunch of familiar faces. And this is the first wrestling world. It's the first wrestling world. Yeah. It's kind of the name that they start using for the January Fourth ones yeah. for a few years in a row. Yeah, the longest running name, obviously, I like guess Wrestle Kingdom. Is Wrestle Kingdom? That's what it is. Okay, but it doesn't get there until. What, like 2007-ish, I think, something like that. So yeah, we still we'll, have a little ways with some different names. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. But we will always be there it, on the 4th. Absolutely. Music from this week's show is New Body by Audio Adrenaline and Bell Bottoms by John Spencer Blues Explosion. If you like this episode or any of our other ones, please go out and rate or review us. Or rate and review us, don't or, do and. Yeah, do both. On iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts at. If you have any questions, comments, concerns... Recipes, drink ideas, food ideas, something. We're uh, headed to Japan. I know there's a lot of ideas for Japan out there. If you want to throw me some more Philly stuff, that would be great too, because I'm sure I've got... Uh, 40 shows <laughs> in few, Philly. You Philly. Coming up here in 96, we'll find out. I mean, there's only like 50-something episodes in season 4, so... Okay. Yeah, and 20 of them are probably using Or season 5, I guess I should say. We're going into season 5. Ooh! Almost to syndication or something. I don't know. And that usually I mean, what happens after five seasons. We're 180 episodes, dude. They go to syndication <laughs> at 100. Yeah. True. Very true. Somebody get us a deal with TBS right before the Big Bang Theory or whatever. <laughs> can, can we get on that Warner Brothers Discovery train? <laughs> sure. What the fuck is up with that, by the way? Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. That's a whole other podcast that we're not going to host. Well, now we don't have to watch back. <laughs> if you have any of those, you can email us at WrestlingHistoryX at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at WrestlingHistoX. That's Wrestling H-I-S-T-O-X. We'll talk to you next week. Twitter me. Laters. <laughs> <laughs>